Welcome to Illegal Double Team. We are Jonathan and Christina Snowden, and we love professional wrestling. Happy late Thanksgiving. Happy late Thanksgiving. We were totally going to do this Thanksgiving night, but then we were like, we're going to SmackDown on Friday, and the little travel episodes are our favorite, so we'll just wait until SmackDown's over. We pushed it to the right just a couple of days, but we're here, and we're committed, and we're doing it. So I'm pretty excited about that, even though you did uh, just tell me off the air that you don't remember how to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely do not remember how to do so, this. Uh, I know it's only been like two weeks, but I'm, I'm a little, totally a little nervous about that. So the, the, the key thing we wanted to discuss, um, in addition to our top five and taking uh, questions from listeners and stuff is the fact that we did attend our very first ever, um, episode of uh, WWE television, like a show in which they were taping a TV show. We'd never done that before. Yeah, I was actually surprised to learn that because I thought for sure we had gone to see some uh, episodes of Raw back in the day, but you told me that when we went to see WCW, we saw Nitro, but when we went to see WWF, we went to house shows. I think, I, yeah, they were all house shows. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a, a unique experience, and uh, I don't know, I, I enjoyed it. What about you? Oh yeah, I actually had I had a lot of fun, and I I told you as we were there um, that I I felt like I probably wouldn't have necessarily liked that episode of SmackDown if I was at home watching it on television, but it was a completely different experience live. It really does change everything a little bit, just to the even to like the fact that like one of my favorite things of the entire night was like. The opening pyro. Oh, yeah. It was huge. It is like the the show that WWE puts on is not a wrestling show. No, it it is not at all. Um, It's one of the things that I noticed. um, And we've we've now been to a recent house show and uh, now the SmackDown. And and there's a there's a big difference there. And there and there's a difference between the this WWE television show that we've been to and any of the other shows, which is that. All the other shows we've been to feel very much geared towards the live audience. Like, it feels like the live audience is the most important audience. And if this happens to translate on camera, great. This WWE show, the most important audience was the camera. And so there was uh, some confusing moments, I think, for the live audience, at least for me and the people around us. And, and just, you know, sometimes when it, they just made very clear that you are secondary and the camera is the primary audience. Yeah, that's that's for certain. But um, nonetheless, it, it was an enjoyable time. It was very different, though. Like, normally we go to the wrestling shows and we're excited about, like, particular matches. Right. Because, like, you know what's going to be exactly. on the wrestling show. <laughs> you go to, we're showing up at SmackDown and we don't. We don't have any idea. There's no. like there are zero matches that we know of. We know that like Roman Reigns is going to be there. We know the the New Day is going to do a challenge for the yeah, tag team well, championships. Yeah, well, I think like the fact that we were going to get to see the Fiend and the fact that New Day was doing an open challenge for their belts were the only two things we knew for certain. I wasn't sure about any of the other participants. I didn't know what competitors would be there, and of course, I had no idea what the other matches would be. So I think we got pretty lucky, though, as far as that goes, because a lot of times you'll watch like an episode uh, of WWE television and there won't be a single match that you could consider a good match. (laughs) And we we had a couple, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I was happy with who we got to see. My only disappointment was that we didn't get to see Daniel Bryan wrestle, although we did get to see him. Um, Weird as it was, we did get to see him. Um, But they started off the show with Roman Reigns and... 
I, I mean, I have to just judging by the audience reaction, that seemed to be somebody they were primarily there to see. Yeah, so it, it was like an interesting disconnect, I think, between like, so my normal wrestling engagement is with Twitter fans. Right. And they're like super engaged and they know a lot of things about wrestling and they follow it very closely. Uh, that did not seem to be the case for at least this crowd in Birmingham, Alabama, um, where, you know, the people in our section didn't. You know, some of them were vaguely aware of the the television wrestlers, but right. they didn't really have a good clue about what was going on necessarily on WWE television. No, um, not a single person had ever seen or heard of Two Hundred Five Live in nope. the, in the rows in around us. In the whole us. section that we uh, were in, it was they, pretty remarkable. They didn't know. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know it was a television show. They'd certainly never seen it, and therefore they didn't really know any of the wrestlers. I kind of expected Corey Graves to get booze because of the big Mauro Ronaldo uh, situation, and, and he got a big. <laughs> when he came yeah. out like I, I didn't hear anyone mention any of that so it was a very different crowd than your typical uh, independent wrestling crowd yeah yeah that yeah that was actually uh that was pretty interesting we had a group behind us in which there was one person who didn't know anything about wrestling much less like wwe or any particular wrestlers and they literally spent the entire show explaining wrestling to this person who really had a difficult time getting his head around the idea of like that it's choreographed and and it has a predetermined ending <laughs> it was amazing i mean it like, really this was, was real life and yeah. this guy was asking now was that part real when is it like so it's real when they hit each other but fake when they fall down it was, this was three hours of this yes, conversation it was really, really didn't strange. understand it. like and and some of it like okay like i i get like so you didn't understand like why weren't you disqualified for blatantly cheating? Like <laughs> I couldn't tell if he was like putting the other guy on or not. Or... I don't think so. I, don't I really so don't. Not as earnestly as his friend was really trying to explain everything. I, I really think that he, he. I mean, and and I, you know, I suppose if you have no, if you have never ever been introduced to this, I guess it's it's strange. I guess I just have to admit that yeah, it might it might be a little strange. Uh, there was just so many interesting moments that when you're there live, like so we saw. Uh, a lot of people were trickling in late to the show. Like Very some, late. Some people well after it had begun. Really, really late, uh, yeah. But, you know, there was a, a moment that was juxtaposed so perfectly for our enjoyment. Uh, it, no one else probably noticed it or saw it. But, like, Baron Corbin is out there talking about how rich he is and how poor and pathetic <laughs> oh, everyone from Alabama is. <laughs> Meanwhile... Yeah, so uh, for reasons I don't really understand, this crowd had a lot of difficulty finding their seats, and we were right on the front row of the upper level, so it, all these people are coming you know, past us constantly, needing help finding their seats, and, and there's one woman there with her just enormous family, and she just cannot believe that they are being directed to the right seats because they're too far up because, damn it, she paid $27 a ticket and they should not be this far away from the ring. I mean, she was just livid that these people at the arena were taking her to the wrong seats because $27. She thought she was going to be on the floor. I don't know if the last time she had seen like wrestling was like way back in the day and Jerry the King Lawler was there or something. Uh, Sterling Golden. I, I don't know what the deal is, but she was like, she thought $27 $27 should have been on the floor. And uh, these are the nosebleeds. Oh, she the nosebleeds. She was mad. She oh, was man. so mad. That, and, and meanwhile, he's like running down Alabama. It was just like, it was 
perfect. <laughs> it did. Yeah, he could not have known how perfect that was, no, but so, it was perfect. Uh, that was that was pretty wild. Um, I don't know. I, I I just enjoyed the whole thing. I thought um, the Roman Reigns uh, rude match was was really good, at least as a live match. Uh, we got like. They just worked well together, and then we got the cool scene where he, like, spears him through the barricade, and then he's just, like, dumping crap yeah. on top of him and stuff and to include the announce table. Yeah, all the office supplies, just throwing them on him. And, you know, I the, the reason that I say things like, I think that I probably enjoyed that live a lot more than I would have enjoyed it on television is because when you're live, you also get to see all the stuff that the camera isn't focusing on. So you got to see Dolph Ziggler running around the ring, you know, in his like weird skinny jeans and his funny hat. And he was getting into it with Corey Graves and he was getting into it with the crowd everywhere. You got to see Baron Corbin off to the side. um, Also like just, constantly jawing with the crowd and everything and so it was like there's more going on than the camera is catching and some of it was you know kind of interesting to watch so I think that added to how much I enjoyed that match which I'm concerned I may have found slightly boring if I was watching on television to be honest this is going to be the opposite of AEW and this is a case where I'm never going to go back and watch this again because the <laughs> memories are, are positive and I'm not sure. I think you're right that, you know, if I watched it on TV, I'd be like, this is the pits, um, but it, it was fun. And even just like little things like, um, WWE puts on this live uh, show that's just unlike anything else. And so, like, the music, there's, like, bass to the music. Yeah, it shakes your seats. And the the, uh, the pyrotechnics, like, we, we've we been to AEW shows with some pyro. Some pyro, But yeah. it was not pyro like this. No, not like, at all. Just the look on the kid's face, like, the first time the pyro went off, like, our oldest son, oh, Sean. Yeah. Like, he was just like, is this okay? Yeah, he was really <laughs> freaked out. He, he was grabbing my arm, and he was looking around really scared. And he started... He he able he was almost immediately able to recognize that hey when a new wrestler comes out they might do that again and was ready with his headphones, but um like you know our younger son he absolutely loved it and they just they pumped the music through there like for those of you who've never been to like a a, a TV show like this uh, before the show they play all these hype videos and WWE makes some great hype they videos really do, don't they? and I mean. They play him up on this enormous SmackDown screen, which is just like, I mean, it's otherworldly. It's really awesome. And then um, the music is just so loud. There's so much bass that, like, the whole arena is shaking. Your seats are shaking. You can feel it in your butt. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, our our youngest is just dancing along. We can't even keep him in a seat. Somebody's going to cut that out as a soundbite that just you saying (laughs) you can feel it in your butt. (laughs) Well, (laughs) but, yeah, I mean, it it was awesome. Like, the crowd was really ready to go. If you're ever wondering, like, why the crowd is so hyped at the beginning of all those shows, it's not they don't tell you like get hype or whatever like they just play these videos on these giant screens and I mean you you really almost can't help it and um then like (laughs) then they kind of do the same thing when they're taking commercial breaks right right. we some of the commercial breaks when they happen in the middle of matches we didn't really know that they were taking a commercial break we just kind of guessed like boy that seems like a really long sleep roll yeah that headlock's (laughs) been three or four minutes so we figured like okay that there's probably they're probably in a commercial break but um, other times, they actually the ring would go dark, and then we would get like promos, um, like not live promos, but like old promos and and hype videos and stuff to keep everybody interested. And if you've ever wondered 
when they bring two wrestlers out. I know this was the thing that you wanted to know the most. And then immediately go to a commercial break. I can tell you what happens. They cut the lights on the ring. The two wrestlers just stand there. <laughs> and awkwardly. For, awkwardly in different corners. And they just kind of watch the same hype videos that everybody else is watching. And then when they cut back, they move immediately into the match, almost as if it has already begun and they're picking up in the middle. And that's, that's what I was talking about, that feeling that the camera is the audience and not those of us who are actually in the arena. Yeah, I didn't know really what to expect that they would be doing <laughs> during these commercial breaks. I really did not expect that it would be turn off all the lights and then just and have just you watch there. TV, basically. Yeah. Um, it was a big surprise for me, too, but now I know. So, I, I don't know. Ultimately, I think I would give it a, a, a thumbs up. Yeah, I thought it was a really good experience. And we, I, we stayed close to the arena again, yes, so we were is, able to walk there. I'm not sure we'll ever, like, if we can, I'm not sure we'll ever do it another way again. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, it's so nice. I mean, we we left, like, what, you know, five minutes before we wanted to be there. Just a quick little jaunt through a park, and we were there at the arena. Uh, we, you know, we left way later than we normally would so that we didn't have that waiting to get in the doors thing that we've encountered with other shows. And then of course we got to leave. Um, you know, we left whenever we wanted basically, because uh, this is another little (laughs) secret to the television show. They set it up so that you have SmackDown, right? Right. And, and there's a main event of the SmackDown show. Then you have 205 Live, which you, for the first time, realized was live. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of right there in the title. but. And then they have a main event. And so they treat, they call that the main event of the show, even though it's not the main event of SmackDown. And that was very confusing to me. And uh, and we learned very confusing to pretty much everybody around us. Yeah, so a lot of people bailed out and then... Um... I, I felt really bad because I felt like the 205 Live guys were, were working really hard. But, like, you know, I, I went out with uh, Sean to go to the bathroom and I'm listening to people and people are just bailing out of the oh, arena yeah. and, like, by the dozens, Huge the hundreds, yeah. by the thousands. And, like, I'm hearing people say, I ain't sitting around watching no nobody's wrestle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was an actual quote. Yeah. I ain't watching no nobody's wrestle. And so that's kind of how they were perceived. So that's uh, unfortunate. Uh, but. I don't know what to do about it. Well, I mean, personally, as far as the wrestling goes, my favorite match was during the 205 Live, which was uh, Gentleman Jack Geller against um, Angel Garza. I was fantastic, yeah, wasn't I? Yeah, I thought that was a great match. It was definitely the best wrestling of the night, in, in my opinion. Um, but it was confusing to me because they made an announcement during one of the commercial breaks early on in SmackDown in which they said that they had a huge announcement for us. Our main event was going to be The Fiend uh, defending the Universal title against you know, a, a, an a, a unnamed opponent. And I was like, oh, great. And then we got where we had 10 minutes left in SmackDown, and Daniel Bryan comes out, and he's in street clothes, and it's clear he's not going to wrestle. And I thought, well, we're not going to get a real defense of the belt. In fact... If we had stayed, which we did not, but if we had stayed for the main event of the night, it was actually The Fiend versus The Miz in a defense of the belt, a dark match that wasn't going to be on TV. Right. Now, like, I have never been to a WWE television taping before, 
but uh, this is kind of typical of has been since the Attitude Era and probably before that as well, just because so often the television show ends with some kind of storyline right. shenanigans. And I guess I should have figured um, that. So they typically will have, like, the, whoever the biggest stars are who are there will come out and, and wrestle in an untelevised main event of some sort. So you feel like you uh, saw something cool. Right. Uh, even if the show itself was kind of not cool. Yeah, so we had only actually planned for about a two-and-a-half-hour event. Um, so, you know, the boys were getting antsy, and everybody was getting a little bit hungry. And um, so we actually didn't stay for the Well, let's event. be honest. The Miz and The Fiend are, cannot follow <laughs> Gentleman Jack Gallagher and uh, Angel Garza <laughs> in, in, in our world. Yes, Perhaps and, not in the wider Western right. wrestling world. And also, I mean, I'm guessing that they're not having a title change in the dark match, so I'm just assuming that the Fiend held on to his really scary-looking Fiend belt. I, I feel pretty good about that. I haven't checked online yet, but I feel like he's probably still the champ. But I, I did want to talk about the main event of SmackDown, though. Um, and that was uh, the... I mean, I guess it wasn't really a match, but... Daniel Bryan is in the ring. He had an enormous reaction, by the way. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think it probably came across pretty well on TV. But, you know, people, they love him. They're ready to love him. They're ready to chant with him. Uh, he got a great, great reaction from the crowd. I'd say the, the three wrestlers that got the, the biggest reactions uh, were Roman Reigns, uh, The Fiend, and Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Uh, everyone else was kind of... They could live, you know, give or, give or take, you know, but uh, those three they really cared about. Yeah, and so Daniel Bryan basically decides with the crowd's help, he's bringing back the Yes Movement and he's going to take on the, the Fiend for the Universal title again. And then the red lights come on, which, by the way, are not as bad in person as they are trying to watch them on TV. Yeah, it didn't bother me at all no. in person. In so person, it, it didn't bother me at all. Um, so, and then the Fiend comes up from underneath the ring. Right. And so, you know, being there live, I'm, I'm just going to have to tell you all about how this experience is when you're live. So at the end of the New Day match, uh, which, the, which was the match before Daniel Bryan comes out, um, you see an army of like 50 people all in the black WWE uniforms, crew people. Uh, they start to coalesce over in the corner and, uh, you know, behind the barrier. And then the match is over, and they immediately run to the ring. And so, as the live audience, we absolutely knew something was going to be going on with the ring because this they hadn't had to do this between all the other matches. So, they go underneath the they pull up all the ring apron and and the and the little um, skirt that goes around the ring. They there's all this work going on. First, they have to clean off all the pancakes from the New Day match. And then there's all this work going on. And we we don't know exactly what, what's going to be happening. But they put down a different canvas. And some people go underneath the ring. And it is it was my contention. And I don't know if this is true. I have no way to prove this. But I think they easily could have snuck Bray Wyatt in with that crew of people. Um, because there were so many of them. And, you know, Bray Wyatt is, quite frankly, kind of a normal size guy. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it wouldn't be like trying to sneak brawn underneath the ring. <laughs> or the big show. Or right, something. yeah. So, I, you know, obviously he had to get under there somehow. And I'm hoping he didn't have to spend the entire show under there. <laughs> Taking a crap Kurt Henning style. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> which is, by the way, the only thing I can ever think of when I see current inning now, which is terrible. <laughs> like, we watch old matches, and then all I can think about is that story about him crapping under the ring. <laughs> but anyway, um, so they, they do all of this, and so, of course, we're just waiting for some, I mean, as the live audience, you know, like, some weird's going to happen with this ring. Like, somebody's going to pop through it, or it's going to explode, or it's going to collapse, or something different is going to happen. And so... So Bray Wyatt pops up uh, to get Daniel Bryan. And I don't know what this is like on television, but while we were there, it seemed like it took him forever to drag Daniel Bryan into that hole. <laughs> I don't know. I Like I said, I don't know what it seemed like on television. It but, really was like an endless Oh like, my gosh, it just went hole. on forever. And then he's pulling out these huge... Uh, Chunks of hair. Just toss them. Yeah. And uh, I, I couldn't help, and I know like... Should any of my haters listen to this podcast? Right, right, I hope right. not. But like, I'm sorry, but like, last week AEW had a, people come out from under the ring, and AEW has people Shorten taking tufts hair. of hair. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, There's a lot of ideas being recycled around here. It could be. Well, I mean, you know that, you know, the fiend started coming out from under the ring before. Uh, the Blade and the Butcher came out from under the ring, and now The Fiend's still doing it. A lot of recycled ideas. But live, this was really weird. Then, after it happened, and I don't know where they cut up on, off on television, Bray Wyatt just climbs out of this hole, <laughs> walks across the ring, walks out of the ring, and walks up the ramp. Like nothing had happened. Yeah, like like nothing bizarre like had was, just happened. He was just going to the back to clock out. Right, which I absolutely, I at the time just hated that because I was like, it it needs to seem like this dude lives under the ring, <laughs> and now he's just like taken up off the ramp. You know, I was I didn't like that at all. And then a little bit later, um, we see Daniel Bryan climb out from underneath the ring, and he's got a sweatshirt over his head, so you know to hide the damage or whatever. And he takes off, not up the ramp, but like around the side of the ramp. And he has a bunch of escorts or whatever because no one, he's going to debut a new look, I assume. Um, But yeah, the whole thing was just so weird as the live audience. I was just kind of thinking, like I told you this, and I think like the whole reason they did this angle um, was because probably because Daniel Bryan's wife wants him to get a haircut. Right. Bree's like, you know what? The, uh-uh, no more. You're too scraggly. You got to get shorn. I want, you know, cut the hair, beard off. Let's go. And he's like, wrestling. This is wrestling. We can do something with this. Yeah. Yeah. So now they've got a story. He's like, yeah, build me a story. And they're like, all right. The fiend pulls you into a hole and like pulls out all your hair. Well, of course, naturally. All right. Perfect. All right. So <laughs> anything else from the, the tale of our journey to Birmingham for WWE SmackDown? Uh, no, not, not other than just that I enjoyed it and I'd, I'd really recommend it if you've never uh, seen it because just seeing the WWE machinery in motion is pretty impressive. Yeah, they definitely put on a big show and it's, it's worth seeing at least once in your life if you've never had it. It honestly made me a little curious about possibly checking out WrestleMania and I've never once thought that I'd want to go see WrestleMania, but, um, just watching how just putting together just, you know, I honestly kind of a throwaway SmackDown. Sure. Because uh, it's day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday things, uh, SmackDown. Um, but just kind of putting together that show, like how big everything felt, like it just made me think like, wow. I mean, 
at WrestleMania is probably really awesome. Well, uh, it just so happens that <laughs> WrestleMania is going to be coming very close to the house of, uh, next year. So uh, perhaps we'll discuss this further. Okay. All right. Well, would you like to do a, a top five? Yeah. We'll move on to our top five. Because unfortunately... There's nothing from that SmackDown no. that's going to be on our top five. No, not not objectively. Like that would we would be like uh, we would be stretching the truth a little bit. <laughs> so enjoy the SmackDown, not a top five. Five, four, three, two, one, fire! All right, number five, and um, so this is not a match, um, but it's basically a a whole series of matches, years of matches, actually. Um, We subscribed to DDT. Um, We hadn't been subscribed before. We had just kind of gone and been finding individual matches here and there. Um, But when uh, Kenny was uh, working a mixed tag match on the DDT show um, earlier last month, we decided to go ahead and subscribe. And I I feel like it's paid for itself, right? Oh, yeah, it's been fantastic. And this is kind of like our rotating uh, wrestling subscription. Yeah. So we've, we've done, like, we've done all Star, Japan. We did we've done for a while, yeah. We've done, like, high spots. And, like, we've just kind of cycled through them and see which ones are catching our interest. I think this is the one, though, that we've actually probably watched the most stuff on. Yeah, I mean, not counting New Japan, of course. Oh, no, no, <laughs> New Japan's a permanent. WWE's a permanent. Right. Uh, at this point, independent wrestling TV, I think, is a permanent. But the other ones, we kind of, like, rotate around. But this has been really fun. And the primary thing that we've watched, of course, uh, are the the young golden lovers yes. in, in action, which is Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, um, just possibly our favorite wrestlers. Possibly. Yeah, we just went back to the very beginning. I just... Uh found the uh, found a way to find the tags on the website and it it's not the most user-friendly oh, no, I mean, it's a, it's a disaster of a website <laughs> like you you're going to need help or a lot of effort to to find anything you want i, I put the tags up on twitter for both koto Ibushi and kenny omega uh so that you can try it's mostly kind of in order chronological yes. backwards chronological order yes. for the most part sometimes yeah. things will get screw, screwed up and yeah thrown in they into clear, the wrong. sometimes they didn't tag things quite right so um it's not perfect but it's a it's it's close enough yeah so we went back to the beginning and we have just been kind of going through uh i mean abushi started there in like 2005 and then uh, they don't have a lot of stuff from 2005, 2006, 2007, but then in 2008, they started to get a more comprehensive um, group. They started to have a more comprehensive list of matches, and so that's good because late in that year is uh, when Kenny's going to show up there as well. So we've just sort of started going through all their matches, and I, it is so much fun. I mean, these guys are so great. This was 10 years ago, and it is still fantastic. I, I love watching Kenny with those big blonde curls. And, and like, Abushi, like, before, this was, like, a time, obviously, before he just lived in the weight room doing, like, trap exercises, <laughs> like, uh, all during all his spare time, which is what he must do now. So, um, I don't know. I mean, th- these guys were great even then, and yeah. it's just, like, it's the little things that, that make them so much fun to watch. Cause I think the difference between like a good wrestler and a great wrestler is not like the, the sheer number of moves that they do, mm-hmm. but it's like two things, which are one, um, timing, yes. which they're are good at already Yeah. back then. And then also like the things that you do between moves, both, uh, 
with your opponents and with your partner and then with the audience. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're really good at that. So like, um, they're, they are so engaged with the crowd that, um, you could just kind of sense like how quickly and how powerfully the the crowd has attached themselves Mm -hmm. to these two guys and and Kenny even in particular, I Mm -hmm. think. And it's, uh, I don't know. It's just so much fun. Cause it's like, um, we were talking about this at home, I think, but uh, just like how great it is when you can tell that the performer really loves doing it. Yeah. Like, and, and you can sense that there's just like so much joy in these performances that, uh, I, I don't know. It's just, uh, it feels different than most other wrestling. <laughs> Maybe I'm crazy. Like it doesn't necessarily look different. A lot of the moves of course are the same. Lots right. of people copy or they copy to, you know, but... well, to be fair, some of the matches look very different. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's like sex dolls and uh, assassinations. <laughs> oh, yeah. So one of the we, we saw like this one match where the, the, the sex doll is the one of the tag team partners going against Kenny and Coda. Yes. And uh, the whole match, you have to see the whole thing. But you should know that Kota Ibushi takes like a Masao level dangerous <laughs> head bump off a suplex from a sex doll. He is suplexed on his head by a sex doll. I don't know how he managed that, but like he didn't take like an easy bump. Like he took a bump right on his head. My favorite thing is There's how no, no one asks for this. Yeah, my favorite thing is how differently the two of them uh, look and and react with the sex doll. So Kenny is very theatrical, of course, right? Of course, but my God. Ibushi looks serious as hell wrestling this sex doll. Oh, yeah. He has a hard match with the yes. sex doll. Like a, a hard style match. Uh, I, I don't even understand it. Like the... <laughs> It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. You, you have to see these things. Yes. Like I, I know that some of you are probably having like mild heart attacks right now just hearing about this. But uh, <laughs> Who do you think listens to this? I, there are some people I know who listen to this who have like an old school mindset. Uh, I don't know why they still listen to this, but... Um, <laughs> Probably because we're such a delight. Well, I don't know. I, I do not know how. I mean, you have to see it even if it's just for the spectacle. Even oh, if yeah. it's just to appreciate the athleticism of, of you know, Kota Ibushi appear, appearing to have an incredibly stiff, difficult match with an inanimate object. Yeah, it's the, amazing. The, the talent, the skill level, the athletic ability of this man is just, you know, beyond what... Uh, you could even have imagined 10 years prior to this. And uh, I, I don't know. I just think it's cool to watch because, like, it's not just the guys. There's other people in DDT when you the, you watch the their opponents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think of it as, like, a smaller league or whatever. But, I mean, these – every one of these wrestlers could have easily jumped into a there's New, a a new Japan there. Junior match yeah. and been great. Yeah, there's a lot of talent there. And uh, and that's the thing is that um, this – this match with uh, with Dino and the Sex Doll comes right on the heels of their match of the the Golden Lovers match for the tag team titles, and that is a hundred percent serious match. Like there, I mean, I mean, there's some tiny bit of humor because it's DDT, but I mean, right? I mean, it's a completely different kind of match. Um, and, and it is also excellent. What, what was the translation for Dino in the Tai Chi blog? Sodomy. Sodomy Dino. Sodomy Dino. So that's the kind of wrestling. No, no. The Tai Chi blog was uh, male kissing player. Male kissing player. That's the translation for what, what, what their opponent The translation was. on the DDT website is Sodomy Dino. 
Just so you know what you're getting into. <laughs> this is for adults or, or immature adults. Very <laughs> immature adults. All right. Well, let's move on. But please uh, give it a shot. DDT Universe. It's pretty cool. All right. Number four is um, the buildup of Okada versus Ibushi for Wrestle Kingdom. And it's on our list because, um, one, they've had some nice tag matches, some nice six-man tags during the, the tag league in New Japan. Um, but two, because it's just so weird that it sort of has us fascinated. Yeah, I, I wouldn't really know how to describe it. I don't really know what their feud is supposed to be about. Um, I don't know. I don't I mean, understand I mean, they're trying it. to drum up interest in in the fact that they're going to have a big giant match for the IWGP Championship at Tokyo Dome, um, uh, apparently with just like incredible awkwardness. So yeah, so we got up at like three thirty in the morning on Thanksgiving, uh, as you do, to watch live, <laughs> to watch live Japanese Japan wrestling, wrestling. Not even like a big show, like just a regular show. And so like one of the matches was uh, this six man tag, and so at the end of it. Uh, Okada's on one side, Ibushi's on the other, as you would expect. Uh, and and then, like, so Ibushi gets into the ring, it's after the match. Right, but I should point out that they've been having the six-man tags, and honestly, they don't seem to be going particularly hard. No, not at all. Um, it's, it's been very kind of formulaic. If you didn't know, you wouldn't even necessarily guess that they had a big match coming no, up. No, not, not from the match So this itself. is not like the way that, like, Ishii builds like a match in these tags where he and you know who his next opponent's right. going to be it's the guy he's beating the crap out yes. of in the tag match yes that's not what's happening here right they just have like a light breezy match and then uh, abushi brings like his briefcase into the ring he puts it down and he just kind of inches it <laughs> towards okada with his foot mm-hmm. and then okada like backs away and it's almost like abushi's like chasing him around the ring with the sl- briefcase. slowly inching it yes and then finally okada kicks it out of the way and then Ibushi drop kicks him but like the whole thing was just like my description of it is not nearly weird enough yeah it's I mean because weird and awkward are the only two emotions that I can think of like it's it's just strange you expect a match that big um to be built with um this idea of like I represent one thing and you represent another or we're just fighting really hard to prove which one of us is best or I'm one generation and you're another generation all those various tropes this one is just like they're not giving you anything to hold your hat on like I just don't I just not really sure what we're supposed to take away from this and I think maybe ultimately like uh it doesn't matter what they do in these tags. I guess not. It's like not. if the if the crowd isn't already into seeing if Ibushi is a better wrestler than Okada, there's nothing you're gonna do in this last month that's gonna change it. Like you know, the the match that they're gonna have, uh, I guess, speaks for itself. I, I I mean I guess so. It just feels so different than you know the the build for every other big New Japan match that I've ever seen really where. You can I can usually pick out the the themes that are involved and tell you exactly what's at stake, and in this case it's just two guys who are going to be fighting for one belt. Right. Although all, I guess the actual story is about four guys who are fighting to see who's best. That's the ultimate story. Since they have it two nights, and we know that the winner of this match and the winner of the Intercontinental match will fight, so it's a it's a, not even really about Ibushi right. and Okada. And that's the thing is that I'm feeling 
I can, I'm getting those feelings off of Naito and Jay White. Right. Um, I am, I'm just, I'm just not getting much of anything off of Okada and Ibushi. And I'm wondering if, if they're going to be able to, you know, up the ante and, and make it any more interesting. Cause it's really interesting because the, the, uh, the advent of the second night in the Tokyo Dome and that we already know it's going to be the, the winner of one match against the mm-hmm. winner of, of the other has sort of like somehow minimized, minimized the main event yeah, of the Tokyo it, Dome exactly. show. That's what it kind of feels like to me. And, uh, yeah, and, and, it's, and particularly because of the fact that um, you don't have that same kind of emotional buildup towards towards that main event. I mean, I think I think at this point I would say that second night is going to be far more emotional no matter who is in there. Yeah, I think that's right. But so. it's going but also a lot of that emotion is really at this point being driven by Naito and Jay White and neither Okada or Ibushi. So arguably that was not a top 5 <laughs> as we've discussed it now like a you know, maybe. Well, it's. I think it's top five in in how much it has like sort of captivated us and how yeah, much we've sort fair. of talked about that's it. That's fair. Yeah, it has g- captured our attention, but perhaps not always in a positive way. <laughs> uh, unlike number three. Oh, number three. Um, so this one fits in a little bit with number four, um, but this one generally and, and number five. It's all just gold oh, lovers. Yeah, all number and number five too. Wow, not surprising, I guess. I guess not. But number three. Um, has been Kenny. Uh, two matches and two different promos that we really enjoyed, and also just another sense of kind of weirdness, to be perfectly honest. Yes, which is kind of expected with Kenny Omega at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he had a, a very kind of a weird interview on being the elite, and then um, I don't know. I, did, I don't know what to, to make of it. I thought it was funny working with like the, the fake weights and, and all this stuff. Uh, oh, that was on Dynamite. Oh, that was on Dynamite. Yeah, that was on Dynamite. Yeah, that one was just actually hilarious, I thought. Um, he had a promo with uh, Michael Nakazawa about uh, what his next match was going to be. And <laughs> he, they, he's having Nak um, spot him on the weights. But when they zoom out, he's like lifting like 10 pounds on the bar <laughs> and acting like it's just killing him. And um, I actually thought that was really funny and really well done. And then he had a skit on being the elite where he's, um, you know, he's playing like he's down and out. He's He doesn't care anymore. He's uh, dipping store-bought cookies into Nutella and just stuffing them in his mouth. That's like kind of like the, the universal sign of depression, right? Yes. <laughs> like probably more so for women than men, but, you know, <laughs> same difference. And... Um, yeah, and then Michael Nakazawa brings him around into uh, uh, d- deciding that he'll have a match where he'll defend his AAA belt because, you know, he's a champion. And uh, he takes all the credit for uh, Nakazawa's idea, but that's fine because Nakazawa's just his friend, and that's how friends do. Um, but both of those were really funny, and, and they both ended in two different matches, um, Kenny versus Jack Evans on... Dark, and then uh, Kenny versus Pack on Dynamite. Yeah, so I thought the so the two different promos were they they were very different, and 
in, in tone and execution in some ways. And then the two matches, I think, were different too. And I think oh, that's very different, that's yeah. what's really cool about Kenny in in this version of him. In that a, a lot of times, like a wrestler at his of his stature at this stage of his career, just has a thing they do, mm-hmm. and they would just do it. And the crowd would have been happy. Right. They would have been happy to see Kenny's greatest hits against Jack Evans and a seven or eight minute match where he does all his stuff right. and everyone goes home. But instead he kind of like, he kind of changed what he did, oh, he did to, to suit Jack Evans. Of course. And uh, it ended up being 15 minute match. It was maybe, a little, maybe that was a little much, mm-hmm. but at the same time I thought it was like, it, it was fun and it was cool to see him um, have the respect for Jack Evans to, to alter his style to make it so the match suited Jack uh, even better than it might have. Yeah, and I always like I always like seeing um, you know maybe not new stuff but like pull out some of the old stuff that that Kenny doesn't really use a lot anymore and bring it back for a match. Like I like that a lot. Um, but again, this all kind of feeds into this sort of weirdness around Kenny Omega right now where you don't really know he's like he's drifting you don't really know what they're gonna do with him you can't predict whether he's gonna win or whether he's gonna lose or you know what kind of mood he's gonna be on at any given show it's like it's just a lot of weirdness and I'm not really sure what to make of it or where they're going with him yeah me neither um, and I don't know whether that's like so is the the weirdness you're describing, or the lack of direction? Is it is that the angle? Yes. Is that the story right, that exactly. they're telling? I don't know. Or is that an indication of the lack of story? Yeah, I, it I, could be either. Yeah, it could be either, and I honestly don't know. I mean, we'll obviously have to wait and see what they do with it. But and I do um, sort of worry that like, um, if such a thing exists as like a casual AEW fan, like, uh, what do you make of all this? Because and I think this may be a problem sort of across the board a lot of for a lot of AEW acts in that you have to kind of be a completist to understand anything about what's right. going on. You have to watch Dark. You have to watch Road 2. You have to watch Dynamite. You have to pay attention to their Twitters, their various Twitter interactions. Right. And there's no, like, one place. There's no repository for uh, where you can go to make sense of it all. And because Dynamite's not a place where they necessarily bring it all together. Uh, it all just kind of exists in this world. And, and they don't always, I don't think, do a perfect job of, of making it coherent. Um, you know, you have to do the work yourself. And, and I don't know how many people will do that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure either. I mean, I know it's a, it seems to be a much more devoted fan base than, than for instance, uh, you know, WWE. Um, but honestly, yeah, I, I don't know. All right, so we don't know if people are AEW completists, but if you were, if you are a WWE completist, then you were treated to a month-long NXT invasion, and that is our number two. Yeah, I, it was uh, really interesting to, to watch it all play out, and I thought uh, overall they did a pretty good job. Well, I mean, depending on what their goal is, I know yeah, you, you I, have you have you have a lot of thoughts. So I'm just going to turn the floor over to you. Well, I mean, when they started the whole angle, which was to build towards Survivor Series, this was your Series, first your first Twitter thread. Yeah, regarding it's this. true. After Survivor Series, I was sort of so interested, confused, maybe a little even disturbed that I I made a Twitter thread like I that little plus button. I've never used that before, but I. I decided to just throw out all of my thoughts on it. And I'll be honest, the whole thing was a little bit confusing to me. 
and I love NXT. It's my favorite of all the television products. Um, it's, you know, just geared more towards what I enjoy. Um, but it's very different than Raw. It's very different than SmackDown. And those are the principal shows. Um, they're the ones they got paid the most money <laughs> um, to, to put on TV. They're, they're, they are their flagship shows. And NXT has always been treated as a, like a, a developmental property. It's, it's where you, you know, gear up talent to be ready to go from just being wrestlers to being WWE sports entertainers. Right. And it's right in the name. Yes. NXT. Next. Not now. <laughs> Next. Like, and I don't think, I mean, I know there are some people who want to argue something different because they think that the wrestlers on NXT are better. And truthfully, I do too. I prefer them. I prefer the product. But that doesn't change the fact that it is the developmental product for WWE. And so it was strange for me to see them sacrifice their two flagship shows and those rosters for the purpose of elevating NXT. And I know they're on TV now. They're trying to build their audience. But if I ever had any doubt that it was very important to them to beat AEW on Wednesday nights, I don't anymore. Because they were willing to sacrifice their Raw rosters, their SmackDown rosters, um, and, and have their those wrestlers lose consistently to NXT wrestlers um, just for the purposes, I suppose, of trying to get a bigger audience for NXT on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, and who can say yet if it's going to work or not? Uh, and, and then also, uh, as a fan of NXT, I'm not 100% sure how much interaction I want to see between right. those I've, I've certainly never wanted more. That's not something I've been I, interested I've in. I've never once been curious about, like, could can these great NXT wrestlers, what would they do if they were, you know, in the ring with The Miz or whatever? Right. Like, you know, that's not of interest to me. Right, and usually I usually the only thing I feel when they move people up to the main roster is just kind of sad. Because Queasiness. Then, <laughs> then I'm afraid, you know, then I'm legitimately afraid that I might not, you know, get to, I might not get to enjoy what this person does anymore. And so, um, I, yeah, I don't really know where they're going to go from here. Um, they haven't done any more, uh, invading or, uh, cross angle since Survivor Series, but they have not shied away on either Raw or SmackDown from just, you know, admitting that they got their butts kicked by NXT wrestlers. <laughs> So they're not they're not just pretending it didn't happen. They're still discussing it. So the the whole uh, we haven't really ever discussed this the the whole movement of NXT from a developmental league to a television property. But I you know I I do wonder what it means for WWE long term because uh, I I don't think it, it exists anymore as a place where you're developing the next stars uh, for WWE. Now you're talking, you know, because before, you know, they were sort of only the very hardcore fans were watching it. Mm -hmm. And so you could take someone and bring them up to WWE as kind of like a fresh act in exactly. some ways. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't exist no. in theory now, now that it's on TV and a million people watch it every week. Uh, so what are they going to do to develop acts? Uh, 
if anything, like they almost need like an AEW to succeed now, if only so they can have the back and forth talent transfers like you used to see with WCW, where like people jump back and forth. That's where the fresh blood may come from now. Uh, can it really come from NXT if you're presenting them as a co-equal brand? Right. Uh, I don't know. So well, that's may, maybe the trade is just among Raw and SmackDown and NXT now. But once that starts happening, NXT kind of loses its power. Because I thought it was it was very telling that when you watch the Survivor Series matches, um, you everyone knew who the NXT team was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we NXT fans know NXT wrestlers and they care about them. Right. Raw and SmackDown wrestlers had to wear armbands yep. that said R or S mm-hmm. with the colors on it. Because nobody knows, nobody can remember which wrestler is on which brand. It changes so much. Mm-hmm. It means so little, generally, um, that no one cares. So yeah, there, there's point... no, there was no team, there's no like fan that right. loves SmackDown and hates Raw. Right. But there is, there are fans that like NXT and don't really like it, the others. Yeah. And I mean, I pointed out um, on the very next Raw after Survivor Series, uh, Matt Hardy came out. And the internet was abuzz with the fact that he wasn't, doing he wasn't in that weird um what did he call it what is his name for his uh matt no, bro- broken matt broken hardy. matt hardy and instead looked more like traditional old you know matt hardy um but nobody i didn't nobody on my time mention timeline mentioned the fact that matt hardy was supposedly drafted to smackdown with his brother <laughs> And wasn't he's not even supposed to be on Raw. Right. Nobody cares. Because nobody knows and nobody cares. Yeah. So the, it, it, it would be sad if it got to the point where NXT is just kind of like a SmackDown and kind of like a Raw with the same vaguely generic form of wrestling storytelling and not the very distinct NXT style. And uh, that may be where it's headed, though. So I, I don't know. I I think that would be a real shame. As much as as cool as it is for them to get this opportunity on TV, if it means they have to change what they are, uh, I don't know that it's worth it for me as a fan. Um, so, but in general, what did you think of Survivor Series? I liked it. It was a fun show. I thought the buildups to it were pretty fun. And when you look at the NXT talent, that if and you start looking at it as okay, who could belong here mm-hmm. amongst the the bigger players, right? In, in theory. Um, I think that definitely Rhea Ripley yes. immediately stood out uh-huh. as a main event player. Like, um, she's one where it would be like almost like she's bigger than NXT. Yeah. Potentially. And so she's, uh, you see her as a potential worldwide wrestling For star. For sure. Uh, she's really the main one. The other ones, like, uh, I think will be just like any other NXT act that goes up to the, what we used to call the main roster. And it's just a matter of timing. And who your first opponent is, right? And and what your entrance music is, and mm-hmm. how the lights work, and did you get pyro? Like all these little things that distinguish a, a big act from a small act, right. as we saw at SmackDown. Um, it, it's really just like the luck of a draw in some ways, because mm-hmm. we've seen lots of great NXT acts go to the main roster and die. So I'm not going to say that like, oh, Matt Riddle is a can't miss, and Adam right. Cole is can't miss, and Keith, they're all, all of them are potentially misses if they're not handled correctly. Yeah. And, and some of that's even beyond the power of like the, the writers and stuff. Like some of it's just like, if you come in at a time when something else has got everyone's attention, mm-hmm. you're just going to peter out. Yeah. Well, I think that um, in general, the NXT women 
probably have a better shot. Yeah, because they're so good. Yeah, they're so they're so good. I think they're just they're just simply better than the, than most of the main roster uh, talent, women wise. So I, I think they, I think they have a pretty good shot. Um, I, especially I think Rhea Ripley and Shayna Baszler. Um, I think uh, some of the big guy, the bigger size wise guys from NXT, um, I could. You could see, I think, Keith Lee moving up. Um, I, I think you could see Walter moving up, and I think the reaction to him being uh, knocked out of Survivor Series so early, definitely uh, there was a lot of dissatisfaction in the crowd and online. Um, I don't know what – I don't exactly know what to make of that decision. Um, like you said, I think you said, like, um, WWE is just, like, just refuses to read the room. <laughs> <laughs> right, sometimes they definitely do. I mean, he got, I think, probably one of the biggest reactions of anybody in that men's uh, Survivor Series match, and and they, they just didn't do anything with him. Yeah, but so Keith Lee, though, is kind of exceptional, even, like, beyond Walter, I think, in that, uh, in some ways, Walter is, like, a similar version to characters you already have, like Seamus and, and guys like that, mm-hmm. like, in, in concept, at least. Right. And um, maybe doesn't really look as impressive once you get him up there and he's kind of jiggling around and you've got, like, Drew McIntyre. Uh, right. You know, like, he doesn't have the aesthetic, maybe. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Keith Lee is, like, so exceptional athletically. Right. That... Um, he, he does things that no one else can do. Right. And that's what it potentially makes you stand out. You know, you could bring in Adam Cole and, and Matt Riddle, and maybe they do well, but what they do is not um, that different than what AJ Styles does or what Seth Rollins does. You know, it's not of a, a different, you know, an order of a magnitude mm-hmm. different or right. better. And and so that's why they could it could be hit or miss, depending on how it works out. But um, there is no one else doing what Keith Lee does. And so uh, I think he could he could be something. Yeah, I mean, assuming that he can keep doing it, because right. this is guy. I mean, all ever all the athletics, um, the aerial stuff that he does. I mean, has to be difficult on a man of his size. Yeah, so it's almost like uh, you would want him to move quickly if they were going to move him. Right. Like you know, you don't want to necessarily. Uh, I don't want to say waste, mm-hmm. but you don't want to waste uh, what should be a WrestleMania bump. In, in front of like you know 500 people at full sale right you know let's move it move him up and have him doing these crazy dives and top rope splashes at 300 pounds at, at a pay-per-view <laughs> you know making his wrestlemania wrestlemania memories and moments as opposed to being like a guy that where you're like oh man it's too bad he didn't make it there before he broke both his knees or whatever <laughs> right well as enjoyable as survivor series was our number one though is actually NXT War Games, and specifically the women's War Games. Yeah, I got kind of fired up online. I saw. Um, because Uncle Dave Meltzer, um, in his infinite wisdom, rated the men's War Game match as better than the women's match. I mean, that's just terrible. Which I thought was absurd. Yeah. Like, the women's was a great wrestling match with storytelling, and it, it, it had all these moments, and, you know, the great heel turn of Dakota Kai, right. and the babyface team. Well, just the timing and the pacing yes, of that match everything was made so sense. much better. It, it was such a better story, executed perfectly. Yes. Uh, I, I really loved it. And then the men's match, and I don't, I don't want to disparage them, mm-hmm. um, because they tried very hard. Yes. And they, they did a lot of crazy things. That's right. But they also screwed up a lot of things. Oh, yeah. And the storytelling didn't 
really do it for me in the same way. Like, was there storytelling? I'm because not sure. I may have missed that. So it was just like the one last year where it's just a stunt show is yes. what it's turned into. Yes. Which is really the opposite of how War Games was kind of intended. Right. As like an emotional match that ends with like a submission. Well, I mean, part of the problem is that you've cast the Undisputed Eras as your, as your bad guys, except for people love them. So yeah. it just doesn't, that just doesn't work. And that's a problem bigger than that one wrestling act like that's the story of right. contemporary wrestling is that there is no heel you know well, your, your heels are your baby faces right well yeah. in in women's war games um there was a heel and then they made a heel yeah <laughs> so it starts actually before they even get um in the ring with uh my yum one of one of the team members uh being attacked and she has to be replaced um, and she's replaced by Dakota Kai, who we had been watching for several weeks try, you know, her hardest to make it onto this team, only to have Maya Yim take her spot. And so Dakota Kai is, she's going to get to be in war games. Um, she's, you know, throughout these two weeks, she's promised everyone, you know, I know that I didn't get picked, but I've got your back. I'm here for you. And, you know, when it's time and they need her to step up, you know, she's ready to go. Now, right away, um, I took huge issue with the fact that they made the women's war games, like, at the put it at the beginning instead of being the main event. Even now, having seen the whole show, I still think they're wrong. I still think that that was a bad decision and that the women's war games should have been the main event. Uh, going into it, just based on the rosters, I was pretty positive that it was going to be good um you know probably better than the men's i 100 percent still feel like that's true that it was better that it was a better match and i think that if you just wanted something that was going to get the crowd fired up and ready to go you you know easily either one of the war games would have been fine but i think the women deserved to have the main event in that pay-per-view and i'm not yeah, I'm not usually real opinionated when it comes to, you know, rah-rah women main event or <laughs> parody for women or whatever. But, you know, I really do think that they deserve that main event. Well, um, I thought it was a great match and everyone should be really proud of it. And it, it led, as these kind of matches should, into what will be the next title match uh, between Rhea Ripley and, and Shayna Baszler. So, uh I, I think that's the best division of any division in wrestling that we watch. Um, the women's division in NXT consistently I mean, so great. Yeah, I mean, they, they are doing really excellent work. Um, of course, I mean, if you haven't seen it, um, it sort of predictably, uh, Dakota Kai turned on her team because she was pissed that they didn't pick her immediately and uh, that her friend, especially her partner, Tegan Knox did not stick up for her more vehemently to be on the team. Um, like I said, it was a completely predictable turn, but done so well. Right. Um, and that was that one of the was... things that I like said online is like, uh, in this kind of narrative storytelling, like uh, you're, you should be able to predict most of it. Right. If but... you have, if it's a complete swerve out of nowhere, they've done a really poor job of setting right. it up. It's bad storytelling. Yes. Then. So like, that's kind of been like what we call the Russofication uh, of wrestling. <laughs> 
from Vince Russo, yeah. the the writer from the Attitude Era, and then kind of went to WCW and destroyed all their stories. Where like the idea was like every week it has to be a big surprise, but it can't be that way it because be it that shouldn't way. be that way. Yeah. And a lot of times the most satisfying stories are the ones that you know you kind of know exactly what's going to happen, mm-hmm. uh, and it feels good to see it happen. And I think that's. Uh, not to always make the comparison, but I think that's one of the things AEW does really well yeah. is that it takes these natural stories, the natural feelings that wrestling evokes, and, and they just execute it really mm-hmm. well. And that's what you really want is a, a basic story told well. Sometimes you have a big surprise and a, an avant-garde story and a, a story that goes off the rails or whatever. That's okay. But um, a lot of the times you just want to see uh, good guys beat up bad guys. And well, that's cool. Yeah, and it just, um, it was extremely well executed by everybody involved. Um, you know, D- Dakota Kai just, you know, she just looked like a psychopath going crazy on Tegan Knox. I mean, really, really uh, went after her, went after her bad knee, um, had to be like, you know, pulled away from her by tons of officials. And Stephen Regal st- ran back out and continued the beat down a little longer before they could get. Uh, she took Tegan. a poke. She took a poke at Regal. Yeah, <laughs> before they could get Tegan any medical help, and she continued beating on her and stuff. Meanwhile, you got Shayna Baszler sitting in the other cage, just laughing her head off at this turn of events. <laughs> like, and it was just absolutely perfect. Like, she is just cackling. At, because, of course, Dakota Kai's heel turn means that her team goes down by two members because she doesn't enter um, the war games and she takes out Tegan Knox And Shayna benefits because she's the captain of the other team. She's laughing her head off in the cage, and when they finally let her out, when it's her turn to go you know, to the ring, uh, she's just strutting, just strutting down the ramp. It was absolutely perfect. I thought they did a great job with it. And... Um, then that set up the storyline of um, Rhea Ripley and Candice LeRae, who are both excellent underdogs, uh, just kind of naturally excellent underdogs, um, you know, having, having to fight all of, of Shayna's team um, in war games and managing to pull out the victory. Um, Rhea Ripley had to use handcuffs in order to do it, which is super hot, but <laughs> it was very well done. Yeah, I, I liked it. Definitely a deserving number one. Yeah, all right. So we have some listener questions. All right. The first question comes from J.C. Strickland. Okay. And he uh, says, I'm a, a fan of Hammerstone. All right. Who is uh, from the dynasty in MLW. All right. And he uh, says, do you think it would have made more sense to have him move over as MJF's muscle a la uh, the dynasty? So uh, Hammerstone, MJF, and Richard Holiday are the dynasty in MLW. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead of Hammerstone and Holiday, uh, he's going to have a different faction, it looks like. Right. So. Um, um, well, I mean, I I really enjoy the dynasty. I love um, their interactions. Uh, they just kept getting you know better and better in MLW. Um, but I don't know anything about Wardlow, so trying to compare the two and, and say, like, oh, well, you know, the the Hammerstone would have been better or that they should have just, you know, gone with one gimmick over another gimmick, I, I don't know yet. I'm going to have to see how this goes with, with Wardlow and anybody else that MJF might bring into his sphere of influence. All right, so you're withholding judgment, which I, is I'm fair. I'm going to have to, right? Well, we know about Wardlow is that he, has, he accessorizes well. 
it's based true. on his tie. Uh, we also know, though, that he did not uh, just totally smash a 63-year-old DDP. <laughs> uh, having watched MLW, we know for a fact that Hammerstone uh, smashed the heck out of a 63-year-old Savio Vega. <laughs> I, I'm assuming true. he's 63 years old. I'm not sure. But Hammerstone would have just <laughs> did, he would have done his move on DDP. It would have been all over with. Right. So in some ways, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of team Hammerstone on this one. Uh, War, I, I leave it open for Wardlow to prove me wrong. But I love the dynasty. Right. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I do not in any way, shape, or form expect that MJF will have the same kind of chemistry with Wardlow or anybody else that he might bring into a, a new faction that he does with Hammerstone and Holiday. I hope, I hope he's teaching Wardlow about the gift train. The, the gift, well, I mean, he has the tie. I mean, he must have, right? He taught him, the, but it, it goes both ways. That train has to run <laughs> both ways on that track. Uh, that's how I feel. So, yeah, we'll reserve judgment. But my heart's with Hammerstone, uh, if only because he did an interview for our MLW podcast. Okay. So uh, I'm, I'm team Hammerstone. All right. All right. So uh, Jay Sandlin wants to know, uh, what other company would you choose to invade AEW? And you and I have... Has a company invaded AEW? Or just like, oh, just like pick a company. Yes, what other company? Gotcha. Um, we had like what is like the closest that we probably come to having an argument about this in the car the other day. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I I just totally, based on emotions and alone and not, like, logic, desperately want AEW to work with New Japan. <laughs> you just want Ibushi to work with Kenny. But also Okada. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... That's just told, That's just completely based on uh, emotions and and not on any kind of logic. I do not. I, I see your point that neither that AEW certainly does not need New Japan at this point. I really don't think New Japan needs AEW. Um, I, I just like I, I'm not done with those guys um, interacting with Kenny. So emotionally, I just would really love that now. I I mean, there's also, like, a ton of people in NXT that would also be fantastic um, invading and working with AEW. Obviously not going to happen, but I can I could see that that could be awesome. It, it's really tricky. Um, and, and I should admit, like, so as much as I kind of, like, it feels to me like AEW has so many talents on the roster right now that like just kind of like inserting Okada occasionally for a match or like uh, Ibushi, like I don't know how that fits. Right. They're having a hard time getting their people on TV right. as it is. I understand. So it's kind of difficult. At the same time, like I don't want anything more in my life than for Kenny to be the second for Ibushi at the Tokyo Dome <laughs> on January 4th. Like if Kenny comes out as the second... Uh, for Ibushi, like my night, my night will be made. Yes, and, and so well, I've already told you. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that Tanahashi wins the AEW belt and from comes Jericho? back and defends it on Dynamite. So, so I understand that on some level. <laughs> um, I I think AEW needs to establish more clearly what AEW yes, is exactly. before you can have anything else. And then like any of the other domestic groups, uh, short of WWE, which would be cool to have like a Survivor right, Series match right. between AEW and WWE. Yes. Like I, that would be awesome. But like 
I think any of the other groups like makes them look smaller. Mm -hmm. Like if they have like if they're on an equal footing with Ring of Honor or Impact or something like that, like uh, that's just a bad look for them. That's not what they're aiming for or who they want to be. I think or who how they want to present. Yeah. And so um, I'm going to say no to an invasion of AEW right now. All right. And uh, Big Bad Boo Bear uh, wants to know what is our opinion on the Cornette situation. By which, uh, for those who don't follow, um, wrestling manager uh, of the 1980s uh, slash contemporary curmudgeon, uh, hater of all things modern in wrestling, Jim Cornette, uh, was the color commentator for the NWA's YouTube show, uh, made a a racist comment during the commentary, and um, was fired slash resigned from from that program. Mm -hmm. this created like kind of like divided the community between like regular people who want like decency and, and basic human uh, <laughs> compassion and, and like uh, respectful interactions. And then people who like, like the good old days uh, when racism could just be explicit. Uh, so that should give you a, an idea, I guess, of, of how I feel about it. I, I don't know if I've really, um, have you and I haven't talked about it? So what 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 did you think? Did you follow the thing? I did, I did. I, I saw it um, on Twitter. Actually, I had been watching um, uh, NWA Power. That was the first episode that I hadn't seen. Like as soon as it it came on on YouTube, um, so I saw the clips um, on Twitter before I I saw the episode. And um, just one for anyone who has some sort of doubt about it, like. Uh, that was racist. <laughs> um, two, I just, like, this is just, there have been a lot of incidents. Like, this is not a, it's not a, a one-off thing. I can't find any sympathy um, for him, like, losing this gig because... Yeah, um, I mean, you have to do a lot of explaining for Jim Cornette about how this wasn't really homophobic, how this wasn't really transphobic, how this wasn't really racist. Yeah, like a you lot. know, you have to do a lot of like circling in the bandwagon. The the what do they call that? Uh, yeah, I'm just circling the wagons. The I guess wagons. is that what you mean? Yeah, the wagons. Yeah, not necessarily the bandwagons, just right. wagons. So we're circling the wagons for Jim Cornette a lot if you want to be Team Cornette. And then, like, so then people start, like, finding other examples of him, like, in casual conversation, um, referring to, to African Americans by the, the hard R N-word. Like, uh, and, you know, he would say, I, I used to do that to get a reaction out of people. I'm not really racist. I used to have people come to the wrestling promotion I, I ran as the good guy characters flying the Confederate flag in the 90s. Right. Uh, not because I'm racist, but because it got a reaction. So, like, the guy does a lot of racist things uh, for a guy who's not racist. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I just, uh, like I said, if, if this was, like, a single incident, um, then maybe I could at least, you know, feel bad that he lost a job over it, but it's not, it it wasn't even the first incident that he's had trouble with, uh, since taking over commentary at NWA. So, um, no, I mean, I, I think that, um, yeah, that behavior just, it ha it has to be called out fan. If, you know, if enough fans, um, you know, speak up about it, then, then yeah, you can, I mean, at least, 
I, maybe it'll be one guy at a time, but you can uh, try to eradicate it from from modern wrestling. But yeah, it's just. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and I think probably like this is like a, this question came from a person who doesn't follow us on Twitter, and I, you know, so I, it's probably like designed to like tag Jim Cornette later and say, look what these people said. <laughs> and, and probably like in the spirit of full disclosure, there was like a thing where like I had like said something about Jim Cornette on Twitter and he had responded in a negative way towards me on his Twitter account, like just dumb stuff. Right. And so like, I should, I should mention that as like um, a thing that happened. So like people will know potentially I'm biased. Uh, Although also, like when I was a kid, I dressed up as Jim Cornette <laughs> in, right. in a, a wrestling skit in the fifth grade. So like, you know, I grew up like lo- loving Jim Cornette and enjoying his wrestling. And I, th- you know, I, I I'd actually like to, enjoy quite a bit of his commentary. I, I think he's um, pretty, he's good. He's smart yeah. about wrestling. I wish that he was like had moved, had kept up with the current like culture. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I wish like people like Jim were, were big enough to just say like, um, yeah, that was bad. I shouldn't have said that. That was a mistake. Right. Like, that's all you have to say. Like, no one expects perfection from anyone, I don't think. Right. And if he had just said, like, yeah, that was that was bad. I, you know, I'll do better. I think he would have been fine. Yeah. Except for, like, you know, what he does. And, and, and some of this, I think, is maybe intent. I don't know. Like, he's, he's definitely cultivating this audience. Yeah. Right? He's bringing them in. Yes. And, like, everyone else is these social justice warriors. They like the bad wrestling were the smart people yeah. who, who are not sensitive, mm-hmm. cry babies. He, he right. would use different words uh, directed towards women because he's also a misogynist. Yes. So we should have mentioned that as well. But <laughs> So, yeah, so, like, I think some of this is intent. Like, um, I'm not sure it's a mistake that Jim Cornette keeps getting caught doing this stuff. Right, and, and I think that, that, I think, probably disappoints me and makes me angrier than, than any of the other stuff is that, I, is that he, I think he's... He's speaking to this very specific audience. He's trying to grow this very specific audience. And, and quite frankly, it's sort of the audience that you don't want anymore. Like, it's it's like it's the faction of wrestling fans that uh, keep a lot of people from being able yeah. to fully embrace wrestling like in, when you in talk 2019. Of, when you talk about, like, the toxic wrestling fans or you think about, like, kind of the stereotypical ones, the people in Jim Cornette's mentions – who then come in onto your Twitter when he interacts with you right. publicly. These are those people, you know, they, they hate everything. They hate women. Um, they hate social justice for some reason, because social <laughs> justice is a bad thing. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Uh, um, I, you know, I, honestly though, I will admit that um, I did not go back and watch that MWA power. And I probably am not going to watch any more of them. Yeah, so they've killed their interest to me because um, the way they handled these things with Cornette was them giving the, um, I'm sorry that you were offended. Well, Apologies. I think more than that for me is the fact that this show was taped. Yes. And, and it was taped a long time before it ever saw the light of day. And I don't know what kind of a setup they have, but I imagine that at least a handful of other people had to have heard this before they decided to go ahead and put it out um, for their wider audience. And that concerns me a little bit because um, that tells me that it wasn't just the one guy 
um, who, you know, told a racist joke that he has, in fact, been apparently telling for years. I like the idea that it made it better that he's told this racist (laughs) joke before. Oh, oh, that racist joke that he tells all the time? Oh, well, that one's okay because he says it. Um, He says the racist things a lot. But That was just hilarious to me. Yeah, I mean, it it means that there were other people involved with the organization who heard it and didn't think I probably shouldn't put this out there. And honestly, I told you at the time um, when when his resignation slash firing was announced that – it I think at this point it tells you a lot about an organization if they if they then go back and and decide to hire um, Jim Cornette because at this point I think you know what you're getting you know what you're getting and and you want it <laughs> like you you want what it is that he brings to the table um, which is um, you know I like I said not not welcoming yeah so it's hard and I, and I I think the way they handled it is like. Uh, it's too late. You know, I, I don't know what it would take for to make me go back and watch that stuff again. Um, I don't trust the people involved in it. So, um, as a fan, I'm out. Um, so that's what I think about Jim Cornette. All right. So, uh, Danny Cheeseburger is curious. This will be our last question. Okay. And we've got some more saved up for the next time. All right. Um, which decade do you think was Chris Jericho's best? Um, he had a hell of a run from 2000 to 2010, and this decade has been great too. Um, I want to transform that question. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll come together with Danny Cheeseburger and craft a new question out of his question. All right. Which is more like, which are your favorite Chris Jericho bits? Which tri- Chris Jericho is the best? Um, all right, so be aware that this time period that he's talking about liking... 2000 to 2010 I of course was not really watching wrestling after 2001 so I don't know anything about that decade we were watching some like that I think that was like when he made his he was Y2J right around the beginning of that era and then he was like we saw we saw him debut on WWE yeah and then we saw him like have matches where like um him and, and Chris Benoit had a tag team match with Triple H and Steve Austin that was really great, and Triple H like tore his quad. And he had like a ladder match with like Kurt Angle, I think, or something like that. Um, so yeah, you may have been watching more than I was during that time. So I I don't really remember uh, very much of that. But I mean, I know. So <laughs> this is not a wrestling moment at all. But. When I became aware of the fact that Chris Jericho actually had a rock band, like a real rock band that had albums and and toured and stuff, like that's probably one of my favorite like Chris Jericho things because I didn't actually believe that that was true. I thought it was like a, a <laughs> like a joke, just like a story that was told, right. you know, a gimmick. Um, so it was like completely shocking to me. And then one, and then literally one day, totally by accident, I heard, they actually played a Fozzie song on, on the radio. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds like Chris Jericho singing. And then they told me, you know, after the song was over that it was uh, something new from Fozzie. And I was like, holy shit, that's a real band. (laughs) Chris Jericho has a real band and he's a real singer. So that was like, that just totally blew my mind and definitely something I remember as like a 
favorite Chris Jericho non-moment moment. <laughs> so I, I've always uh, enjoyed Chris Jericho and his light humor. Um, I think probably my favorite, I, I actually really like contemporary right now Chris Jericho. He's hilarious. Uh, I think he's really good. He's, he's hitting on a level that he hasn't in a long time. And so I, I think he's very exciting right now as, as kind of like a portly old man Jericho mm-hmm. um, with all his catchphrases. But I also really like Chris Jericho before he broke big when he was on WCW. Oh, me too. As like the, uh, the kind of non-luchador cruiserweight mm-hmm. uh, along with Stinko Malenko and he was the Dean Malenko was the man of a thousand holds, and Chris Jericho was the man of a thousand and four holds. And you like read Mostly them all. Mostly arm bars. Yeah, like a good third of them were arm bar. Um, so yeah, that that stuff was really funny. Um, so I don't know. I think the 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 lovely thing about Chris Jericho is that he's consistently uh, entertaining. Yes. And and of course, what makes him stand out um, from almost every other wrestling act is like he's never content to just be Chris Jericho right. as he exists. Like he could have been Chris Jericho for like 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's like, he's always looking for the next thing. That's right. Constantly uh, reinventing. Which is, which is exciting. Yeah. And so I, I think it's fun. And I, I like the way that we talked about this here before that he's just kind of like in the span of like the six months that AEW has been a thing. Uh, he's already had like more memorable catchphrases than most people <laughs> will ever have in their career. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, they just are hidden. Like everything <laughs> that he does is, is hitting. And uh, so I, I honestly, I think my favorite Chris Jericho is this Chris Jericho. I know you like him a lot. <laughs> so I guess that is, uh, that's it for this edition of the illegal double team. All right. Uh, next week, besides all the regular um, television that we'll be watching, um, Tag League in New Japan is going to finish up. With the finals will be next Sunday, so a week from today. Um, so that should actually be a pretty good show, the the final show. I think I'll probably be getting up to watch that one live. So we didn't talk about the tag league at all, but I just wanted to make a point of um, mentioning how much I enjoy the Colt Cabana Yano tag yes, team. Yes, and they've been very successful it's as a, well. I, thought it, I think it's been a really good mix of wrestling and comedy mm-hmm. where it hasn't, it's not just pure shenanigans. Right. Uh, they do some wrestling too. And the whole thing is really, uh, it's really clicking. Um, Colt, when he came over last time, like you could see the, um, you could see that the fans were going to like him. And, and this time it's like, everyone's really comfortable with him and he's comfortable. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really, it's really a good act. Him yeah. And yeah. And, and like I said, they've given them, uh, they've gotten uh, to have lots of success in the tournament as well, which is fun. Cause a lot of times in tournaments, Yano can be like the guy who just like steals a couple of wins here and there to help like even up some of the, the records and, and cause some suspense. Uh, but this time around, they're just straight having success. Like they're in the running to win this thing at this point. Um, but there's uh, two more live shows at the end of this week and then the final on Sunday. Um, so I'll be watching that for sure. And for me, uh, for those who don't know, I'm also a writer uh, and write about <laughs> wrestling sometimes at, at Bleacher Report. And um, I'll have an interview, my second interview coming up uh, with Brandy Rhodes. All right. And so we'll be talking about some of the initiatives and some of her work outside the ring, as well as the the very exciting uh, storyline she has going on inside the ring. So it's always interesting to talk with uh, with Brandy 
And so I'm looking forward to that. That should be yeah, fun. Yeah, and one of the things that we um, found out after we went to SmackDown was when we were coming out of the arena, we noticed that they had um, the Culture City logo on the arena door uh, letting uh, people know that there was a sensory room um, inside the arena. And so that was the first time that we've been somewhere where um, it wasn't an AEW show and Culture City wasn't like represented like personally, but we could see that they have already made a partnership with this arena um, ha, you know, they have this resource there available, um, uh, when, you know, when they need it, when different events, not just AEW are, are there. So we like stood by the door and like took a picture and everything. Yeah. I forgot to post that. I'll um, have to do that. But because, that, uh, that movement is very exciting. Yes. It's very exciting for us. I like to see it, um, you know, all over the place, everywhere we go. And, um, so yeah, Legacy Arena up in, uh, Birmingham, it was a, a great venue with some fabulous concessions, but also... Sensory inclusive, so that's great. 